Welcome to the Payments Podium Podcast, hosted by the payments professor himself, Kevin Olson. This podcast discusses the past, present, and the possibilities of the payments industry. Here's the show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Payments Podium. I'm Kevin Olson, the Payments Professor, and so glad to have you with us today. Even more glad to have with us today, Nancy McKenzie. Nancy is with Affirmative Technologies, and she's going to be talking to us about financially friendly fraud. Wait, wait, are you, Nancy, are you saying we've got a friend in fraud? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, There is friendly fraud that has been going on for years, Kevin, and we're seeing more and more of it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. All right. I'm excited about getting into the financially friendly fraud. But before we do, I know I introduced you. You're Nancy McKenzie. You're with Affirmative Technologies. Mm -hmm. Could you quickly let the listeners know a little bit more about who you are and what that means? Yeah, sure. Well, Yeah, here at Affirmative Technologies, I'm the Vice President of Compliance and Business Relationships, which just really makes me the person that we go to when we have a question about compliance, but I talk to my clients all day long. That's what I do. I do um, conferences and I just talk to the people into the industry about um, the financial industry, payments, and compliance. A little bit about my background. I've been in the industry for just over 35 years. Um, I became an AAP in 2004 and an APRP in the 2018 inaugural class. And just most recently, I graduated from Florida State University College of Law with a Juris Master's degree in financial regulation and compliance. So with that being said, I've had a lot of experience in the banking industry, operations, compliance, audit, risk assessments, and and you name it, I've pretty much have done it. Yeah, you're, it sounds like, and, and I know it actually, you're in that fun part of payments. You're, and I tell people all the time, risk and compliance is the place to be, folks. That's where the job security is, because we're never going to see fraud go away. But you said you're going to talk to me about friendly fraud. You said you're going to explain to us what friendly fraud is and what's happening there. So, what in the world is friendly fraud? I mean, we hear fraud all the time, but friendly fraud? I mean, is this yeah, like, you know, sure. story? you got a friend in me when it comes to fraud? I, come on. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, it's more than just Kevin and I being friends, right? It uh, Finding financial friendly fraud has expanded a lot more than what we used to actually identify it as. You look up a definition of friendly fraud and you're going to probably find something along the lines about how consumers will do a chargeback or a dispute against a credit card charge. And they really should have been going back to the merchant and trying to resolve that dispute directly with the merchant, but they instead go to the card processor or their financial institution more than likely, and they dispute it saying it's unauthorized or they were not satisfied with the transaction for whatever reason and they're getting their money back. So that's been going on for a long, long time, but now you look at um, some of the information that is out there in regard to friendly fraud and it has expanded especially since covid and it just has gone really crazy over this last just more than a year um so some of the things that you talk about when we're um, looking at friendly fraud now are refunders refunders are not new but refunders are very, very interesting. And I want to talk a little bit about them. Well, but wait, also can I ask friendly- something, though? You said it's expanded yeah, and exploded sure. since COVID. So is this something new? Is friendly fraud just a new type of fraud that's popped up since COVID? 
You no, know, it, it has not at all. As a matter of fact, um, back in 1987, there was a big um, arrest up in Minneapolis in regard to um, a type of refunder or a friendly fraud scheme back then. And it involved three individuals that were uh, establishing uh, what they called a rebate gate. Yeah. Rebate and gate. <laughs> Yes, because back in the 80s, if you can recall, there was a lot of rebates that were on products. Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of rebates. And so they were devising these schemes where they were involving um, in names, just taking names and, and um, submitting a rebate under that name so that they could get more money back from the company. And um, these types of things, you know, the, the, the way that it actually, you look at it, you don't think that it's really harming anybody, but it, you're stealing the money from that merchant because you're doing it, you know, um, fraudulently. You're, you're taking somebody else's information. You're using somebody else's name. That's not cool, right? That's illegal. And back in the 80s, I remember it myself, man. You were trying to get rebates all the time. I was. It was actually back in the day when I would say that that would be um, my savings account because it was unfound money. I always called it unfound money. Because, and I would put it away in a savings account because rebates were something that, hey, you paid for the product and, and you were able to get this um, rebate or a refund back, right? So it's really started from back then. And it has now expanded to the fact where you can actually hire someone to lie for you is what it is. Wait, wait, wait. you can hire somebody to do the fraud for you. Like that's a job position. What what do you do for a living? I'm a friendly fraudster. I'm a refunder. A refunder. Okay, tell us what a refunder is. Is it the (laughs) same as the rebater? It, it is very, yes, it is. It's very similar to a rebater. So a refunder is, is a person that is going to um, have you uh, tell them exactly what it is that you want to purchase. So for example, you can go on to a particular website and I'm going to use one that I found. There's many of them out there. In fact, when you look up refunders, Oh, there's hundreds of places that are refunders. It's, it's incredible. But the one that I was looking up is called Refund Paradise. And this is exactly what they have on their website. We refund almost any store you can ever think of. We've refunded Rolex watches, graphic cards, monitors, TVs, AirPods, anything that you can order. We can refund. Don't even ha- hesitate. Just go for it. So you go onto their website and you register and you're hiring them in in effect, and you can purchase through whatever store they offer. And then what they'll do once you receive the product is they will then go back to the store. And you know, in this day, everything is done online and delivered to your front door, right? Mm -hmm. And how many times have we had those deliveries stolen from our front doors? So the refunder will go back to the store posing as the person and for between 15 to 30% of the amount of the sale of the product, they will go back to the store because they know their refund policies. They know all of the details about those um, store um, because they want to be customer friendly. 
So they work really nicely with these customers and they will say, oh, it was never delivered. It was stolen from my front door. It was broken. There was pieces missing, whatever the case may be. And they get a full refund for it. They keep their 15 to 30% of the cut and then the customer gets the rest of the money back. And so the product, they get the product or whatever they order too, for free. Absolutely. And make money out of the deal. Yeah. All right. Anybody who's yes. listening, we're going to get to the point where you get in a lot of trouble. You get to wear these <laughs> things called uh, uh, silver bracelets. They keep your hands together um, if you, you get caught doing this, just so you know. And they're not very glamorous. There's not a diamond plated aver- um, version either. They're better known as handcuffs, just in case you're wondering. So again, mm-hmm. A refunder, there's websites that are out there that allow you to do this. There's people you can hire to do this for you. Oh, yes. Well, are there oh, other yes. types of friendly fraud we need to know about? Oh, yeah. There's um, other friendly fraud that's going on. Synthetic ID um, schemes are a big one right now, too. And I think that um, many of us have been in, you know, a part of a, a session, webinar, whatever the case may be, and, and having individuals talk about synthetic Um, ID fraud. And at first, I wasn't really quite certain about it, but it really is quite simple. You take um, a child's social security number and their name, which you can purchase off the dark web, right? And you set up accounts or credit, and you can use those accounts as a money mule type of account. And these children have no idea about their ID being used until they're maybe 18 and they're out there trying to get their first car or something of that nature. And this unfortunately is happening often, especially in the new account um, setup because you could do them online now. And uh, it's very difficult to identify those um, type of synthetic ID fraud schemes. And I know financial institutions are really working hard to try to identify some of, some of those things. But, you know, when you're using a two-year-old's um, social security number and name, you're not going to find anything on that because they've never had credit before. So that is a friendly fraud type of thing. Because Would that be like have, one of the maybe red flags is if you do run a social security number for somebody who say who's like of my age and just getting AARP and all that, you know, I'm an ARP... <laughs> APRP with AARP <laughs> now. And um, if I go to apply and I've got no credit history, wouldn't that be a red flag for them though? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so that unfortunately is also something that um, individuals are using from sometimes their own children or maybe their grandchildren or, you know, individuals that haven't had any, you know, they're too young. Um, and you mean uh, family so members. That, I've actually seen family that one members. too, that parents, yeah. uh, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents using yeah. the, the, their, the younger person's information for their own benefit. That's it. That exactly. One yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, we've got the typical identity theft schemes. And um, I think right now, because we are speaking in February of 2021, and we have had um, the... Um, FTC and FinCEN and the FDIC coming out with bulletins about the fact, as well as the IRS, that um, you may be (laughs) finding out that you're a victim of identity theft because now you're going to be getting a W-2 for those unemployment funds that you received. Well, wait a second. I was never unemployed. Oh, my gosh. I'm a victim of the unemployment fraud. 
didn't know my stuff, my identity was being used, but we're going to be seeing more and more of that. And the IRS actually has a what to do guide published on irs.gov. So if you are a victim of identity theft because of the unemployment fraud, I encourage you to go to irs.gov and look for their what to do guide in case of your identity theft. That's a great so tip. That's Everybody a out there, again, that's irs.gov. If you do know somebody who's been a victim of that unemployment fraud, and like Nancy said, uh, I'm with her 100% uh, as far as predicting what's going to happen this year, you're going to see a lot of that. So make sure you spread that information around. Thank you for that. That's a good tip. Yes, yes. And yeah, and the IRS had just recently put out a, a notice uh, for, you know, everybody. So yeah, share it with family and friends, because I think that's a very important one. We saw a lot of um, individuals being um, kind of manipulated and becoming money mules as a friendly fraud, thinking that they're helping a friend or helping maybe someone who they have a love interest with um, and um, putting money into their account and then moving it out very quickly keeping a small portion of it, maybe using Cash App or Venmo. And I think a lot of us have heard about those types of schemes that were going on, especially using the stimulus payments, unemployment fraud, the PPPs. Um, that was a huge thing. And again, that would be another um, type of friendly fraud because you probably know the person or you think you know them, at least you know them online. And oh, money uh, then the again, just to make sure everybody listening understands, that's just when you unintentionally most likely it can be intentional but most likely unintentionally are moving ill-gotten funds on behalf of somebody else like they come exactly. into your account uh the account that's been hacked or the money that they don't want to show up directly to them comes into your account and then you move it over to them you you said venmo and i, I know there's other those closed loop systems why do they use those systems to move the money to well it's hard to trace, right? And it's a credit push only. So, so it, it, the, and, you know, and it's um, the, um, oh, what's the word? For, uh, you can't identify me. So it's unidentifiable. Unidentifiable. Anonymous. <laughs> right? Yeah. Anonymous. That's the word I was looking for. Yes. Um, so I think that that is another uh, one that has really exploded over this past year. And, and because of, COVID. You know, the fraudsters are really taking advantage of all of the funds that have been put into the system. But, you know, also another one that we're seeing, too, that I think we all need to be well aware of is insider fraud. People have become very desperate. People have become Well, that's frightened. because they're stuck inside right now. This is true. Yes. And um, so we're finding more and more um, companies that are finding individuals that are working for them and they are leaking information. They are maybe embezzling. Um, they are um, stealing in some manner or using the company <clears throat> as the um, information as far as PPP. I just had read a, a story uh, in the last couple of days how uh, McDonald's manager um, got arrested because she had um, gotten a letter developed and had passed it out to many of her employees. And they were the employees were using that information about that McDonald's to, to um, get the PPP loans. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, those types of things are, are, you know, some of the friendly fraud schemes that we're seeing. I know that there's going to be more and more that are going to be coming out. Um, but, you know, the, the, the thing is, Kevin, is that 
it's maddening to me and frustrating for me because of the fact that the consumers that are being victims of this, they don't see that this is wrong. They don't see that this is a fraud. They don't see it's illegal um, because, you know, if you can go out there and look up a refunder and can, you can hire somebody like that, well, how come they're allowed to do that? Well, <laughs> that doesn't make a right, does it? It's still stealing from a merchant. And, you know, in the FTC, is all about the consumer protection. And they are out there and they are trying to protect our consumers because there are still very bad actors, merchants, fake ones that are set up um, and people are falling victim to that. Well, can we but talk also, about that for a second? Because yeah. here you are, you, you've named several, rebaters, refunders, synthetic ID, identity theft, money mules, and the insider fraud. And if I look at, you know, I look at these, the insider fraud, I look at the rebate gate, I look at the refunders, you even said it, it doesn't feel like you're really defrauding anybody because they're doing this to companies. They're not doing this to individuals in that case. And so I know people get that feeling of oh, the company's got plenty of money, they're not taking care of me. Or, and exactly. I, I wonder what causes them to think that they can do that to businesses? And what can businesses do to better protect themselves? Well, see, now that's a very interesting topic because um, just yesterday, first, I'm going to come back to that in a just, just a second. But just yesterday, the FTC um, sent out uh, a blog article on the top frauds of 2020. Um, and this was on February 4th of 2021. And they had reported that they received 2.2 million reports in, in 2020, and the consumers lost almost $3.3 billion. But here's, here's another fact. When it comes to the friendly fraud, which um, could be maybe um, you become a victim of this government, um, you know, unemployment or of something of that nature that you've um, fallen victim to, to a, a fake government official type of person that you've given money to, um, maybe your dear family members or your friends, there were 500,000 reports and a loss of $1.2 billion that we saw. That's incredible, right? And the online or the refunders, there was 350- Billion with a B, right? Billion, yeah, billion with a B, yep. 350,000 reports with $245 million in loss were done through the online refunders. Yeah, so yeah, that report just came out yesterday. But now to circle back, Kevin, to your point about, well, what can the merchants do? This is a very difficult thing, right? And, and we haven't even gotten to the financial institutions yet, but as far as the merchants go, there was an article that Card Not Present, or in other words, CMP, the, that website, they had put out an article just recently about how merchants can try to determine if they are working with a refunder or not. And um, they really have uh, put five bullet points that are really important to merchants, but basically, I'm not gonna read them all, but basically what the merchants should be doing, or if you are a small business online provider, go and look up refunders and look at the companies that are out there and search their websites for your name. That's the big one. If they have your name as one of those places where you can shop and you can actually be a victim of these refunders, 
you're going to see it by just going onto their website and searching for your business name. Okay, you just okay? gave some great advice right there. People should go to Google, search for refunders on Google. When you find the sites, go in there and then search for your name. Now you're searching, I'm assuming, for the business name to find yes, that. Yes, for you the business name. You want to search name. for your own name as well? Um, that I don't think is going to really bring up anything unless you're a sole proprietor and you're going under your, your own it, name for the also business. also mentioned the, uh, there's an article on the top five things it can do. Can you tell us again where we would find that article? Um, yeah, it's at CNP, which is a website uh, that would stand for card not present. So it's just C, um, let me see. I've got actually uh, right here. Um, oops, not that one. Here it is. Um, it's under cardnotpresent.com. On mm -hmm. cardnotpresent.com, okay. Yep, yep. And uh, this particular article that I was reading was in reference to refunding fraud, the industrialization of friendly fraud. Oh, that sounds just awful and fun. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> Anything else that they can do? What, what, what about this, though? If that's what, you know, businesses can be looking at and what they need to consider, and that's a great tip for them to go look and see if they're out there, do some research, find other things that you can do. What if I'm a consumer, though? Yeah, if you're the consumer, um, it, my advice is that you don't defraud the merchant. <laughs> Buy your products <laughs> full price. And if there's truly a problem, then be honest about it. Try to work with the merchant and, you know, hopefully you'll be able to work that out. I know that um, there have been a few people, myself included, that have found a couple of merchants that uh, through COVID were not quite so uh, legitimate. But since I went through Amazon and Amazon has um, really a very lenient uh, refund policy, they stepped in and, and they took care of the amount, which wasn't a lot. It was about $35 that I had, which I couldn't get back from the merchant and they were not responding to me anymore. Um, but I, I would just say, you know, just don't hire a refunder there. What's, why do you think you should be able to do that? <laughs> right. <laughs> because here's the thing, Kevin, you know, now that we, uh, we've talked about some of the different schemes, well, what could happen? Well, like you said, those little silver bracelets could actually be put because this is actually a financial crime, okay? Mm -hmm. Financial crimes are not um, taken very lightly within our uh, justice system, right? It is a pretty hefty fines that you could be facing, civil penalties that you could be facing, um, you know, and it's not just on a financial institution. You could have this on an individual. And as a matter of fact, um, there was an article that I also found that was, um, this was from 2017, but um, the three individuals that were found guilty ended up having to pay $1.3 million back to Amazon, wow. as well as they were charged with six counts of money laundering and interstate transportation of stolen property, as well as mail fraud. And you know, when you're talking mail fraud, as well as money laundering and interstate um, transportation, stolen property, that, that are fe that's federal offenses. That's, that's serious, serious stuff. When you're talking money laundering, I, you know, the, the Netflix show um, that, um, 
what was the name of that Netflix show that Orange was about the, the money Black? launders? Oh, no, yeah. no, White Collar. It, no, no. Uh, yeah. What'd you say? White Collar. Yeah. You know, you can get caught up in money laundering and it is no joke. <laughs> it is no joke. And that has been something that has been taking a lot of people, consumers, victim. So now let's kind of flip that over to the financial institutions, right? Financial institutions have a responsibility of finding suspicious activity or identifying suspicious activity, right? And with that um, identification of suspicious activity, they are required to file an SAR or a suspicious activity report. This is all part of their anti-money laundering program that they should have because that is a requirement of a financial institution. Now, I've had some financial institutions argue with me a little bit. Well, it's not my responsibility to try to identify these types of schemes. I'm not the police. Well, I agree. However, if there's some suspicious activity going on and you choose not to identify it, you could be then accused by the OCC, the FTC, FDIC, CFPB, number of different agencies, right? And if you um, don't recall, just last month, it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, one of the big banks, Capital One, was fined $390 million because they chose to not do anything with a suspicious activity, anti-money laundering scheme that they knew was going on. And and let me just say, uh, we don't know all the details of that, but those are the headlines. And it's been in several different reports in multiple media channels. So just so you know, we're not trying to pick on them. Actually, I have a really good couple of good friends that work over there at Capital One. And it was a surprise myself (laughs) to see that headline because these are people that I know would be on top of this stuff. Uh, Me too. Yeah, and it happens. It does. And it is frightening that way. So then, you know, when I'm talking about finding financial friendly fraud, we need to kind of figure out how are the financial institutions supposed to be able to identify this type of suspicious activity, right? Because these types of schemes, you know, they shift all the time because those fraudsters, they're they're trying to stay one step ahead of everything that we're identifying. You know, we've got the Secret Service out there and they're trying to gather all of these cases of the unemployment fraud, which are like, incredibly huge, right? And they've identified, I, I, I've kind of lost track a little bit, but I had heard that they had, had identified um, like maybe 300 of those um, uh, schemes or, you know, the anti-money or not anti-money, the money mule schemes and the unemployment fraud things. And I know they're still trying to get that all put together and it's going to take a long time for them to unravel that whole mess, right? But um, we, we need to try to shift our minds into how are we going to be able to identify these things, you know? Um, it's not going to solve everything, but data analytics, artificial intelligence, business intelligence, machine learning, that is going to need to be included into the identification process. You know, we've got some great 
uh, solutions out there that many of our financial institutions are using to, um, you know, uh, scan their transactions for OFAC and, and those types of things, as well as try to identify. Um, wait, wait, wait. Let me just stop you right there. I know you're giving a lot of great information for uh, what people probably like wanting to hear. In fact, the listeners are probably going, Professor, don't stop her now. She's telling us the stuff of what we need to know. You know, we need to know how these things are happening. We need to be able to identify the suspicious activity. Yes, we're looking at data analytics, analytics. I need to learn how to talk. We're looking at the artificial intelligence and the machine learning, but we're also looking at where we're running out of time. So I've got two more questions for Nancy and you guys know you can always email me. I can get her back on the podcast and we can get some more information if that's what you're looking for. But my two questions for you are first, Nancy, and this one's just quick and easy. What's the future of this look like? In other words, is it going to stop soon or is it going to just no. continue to grow? It's Yeah, it's going to continue to grow. So it people is, better do something about it, right? Yeah, absolutely, because this is not slowing down. We we are now in a phase, and I predict, and I think that there are many other individuals in the industry that predict that um, this is only going to continue to keep getting bigger. And like I said, you know, the frost, fraudsters are shifting as the um, industry shifts, as payment payments shift, right? So we gotta we gotta be able to pivot quickly because it's not going to stop. And, and, you know, a, a couple of the things that I believe, Kevin, is that uh, when it comes to using data analytics and um, AI, BI, and machine learning is you, you're going to need to find some solution um, that will give the ability for you to continue to keep shifting. You know, you, you can't have a system that is going to be static, right? It needs to be able to be um, flexible enough to be able to put in some parameters to identify certain things to um, bring these transactions um, forward. All right. So if that's what people should be doing, looking at the future, and I agree with you, it's not going to stop. It's something we're going to see more and more of. But the last question I got before I let you go is mm -hmm. when it comes to uh, the payments professor and the payments podium, uh, the YouTube channel, the website, all of that, most of the followers, most of the listeners are actually the younger crowd. And it, it's surprising to me. I get two extremes. I got a lot of CEO and executive level followers and they'll message me and ask me questions about stuff because, you know, they're not in the day to day. But I got a lot of the new up and comers in the world of electronic payments. And I mean, a lot of them. And they're just asking, you know, a lot of questions is that I get is, how did you get to where you are today? What do I need to do to advance my career? And so I look at somebody like you who has done so much for a long time and you don't look it, that's for sure, in the payments world. <laughs> what advice would you give to that new up and comer in the payments world of this is what you should be doing, this is what you should be focusing on, and this is what will make you a rock star of payments? Wow, that's a really big question, Kevin, because you know, I could talk uh, just on that topic alone, right? <laughs> so, you know, I think that my best advice to somebody would be to continue to be innovative, learn. You know, back in the day when I was coming up, I had a motto, electronic payments is our future. People were looking at me like, what, electronic payments? What are you talking about? No, it is going to continue to keep moving in that direction. These young people, if you want to be that rock star in the industry, 
continue to keep learning, continue to keep um, staying on top of what is the latest and greatest, you know, what is happening in digital payments, what is happening with RTP real-time payments. Um, you've got to stay on top of it. And, you know, I think most importantly now, Kevin, you've got to be able to pivot. Pivot. You I like that. You, got, you brought in pivot a couple of times. Uh-huh. Companies need to be able to pivot with the fraud. People, you want to advance your career, you got to pivot with the times. Well, Nancy, I want you to do. thank you so much for being on the Payments Podium. I am Kevin Olson, the Payments Professor. And for all of you out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If there is something that you're looking for, if there's a topic that you would like to have on the Payments Podium, maybe there's a speaker that you're like, hey, you need to get this person. Maybe you're that speaker and you want to be on the Payments Podium. Email me, Kevin at paymentsprofessor.com and we will definitely do what we can to make sure that your needs are met. We are here to educate and entertain when we can. And most of all, we like to have a little fun with payments. For now, class dismissed. Thank you for listening to the Payments Podium Podcast. Check back every Thursday for a conversation with the Payments Professor. This podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Olson and edited by Sam Sue Smith. See you on Thursday.